And my title this morning is The Gospel, Everything Comes to Life. Now, it's great to be here with you at the 11 o'clock delivering a full-length sermon. I know that many of you are used to my offering talk sermons. They go on quite a long time. Uh, But it's my chance to share the Word of God with you this morning and and really unpack uh, a, a challenging word for us on embracing the gospel with all of our hearts. My gratitude to our senior minister, Colin Dye, for the opportunity and privilege to share with you this morning. Do keep him in prayer. He's presently finishing up his ministry trip in Brazil, but he's also been able to celebrate his grandson's first birthday. Uh, So it's a really great opportunity and time for him. And if you're joining us out there, Colin, and for all of you who are joining us out there today, it's great to have you with us here this Carnival Sunday, celebrating and glorifying the Lord together. Let me read my verse for you, then we'll pray. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Today is a day when we should never be ashamed of the gospel. When you're out there passing people on the street, take the opportunity to share with them the great gift of life that every one of us has been given. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This morning I want to speak freedom to you. Freedom from shame. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom to experience the power of God and to enjoy the life of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we... Draw near to you this morning. We thank you for the spirit of celebration and life in the house today. Thank you that you are amongst us. Thank you that you are with us and we welcome your presence this morning. Jesus. Just in a time of prayer recently, I felt prompted by the Lord. He is looking for a people that will cultivate in their hearts a deep love for the gospel. Not just to be unashamed, not just to be out there proclaiming, but to love the message of the gospel. Lord, we ask that you do something in us today to cause us to love your gospel. There are so many other distractions, so many other things we fill our lives with. So many things that lead us away from that singular focus. Our desire to be successful at work, our desire for partners, our desire for a purposeful life. Lord, so often we miss loving the gospel. Jesus, we ask, help us. Help us when we fail at that, Lord. Help us when we're just so consumed with other things that we miss out on that which is most important to you. We know it's at the cross. You paid your greatest sacrifice at the cross. You were separated from your son. It's the place where you demonstrated your glory, where Jesus was revealed in his fullest. The day he took our sin upon the cross. Lord, we ask this morning, break off the hardness of our heart, and Lord, let the soft heart that remains be sensitive to your love and loving what you've done for us. That stark hill, Calvary, 
your son held up before all the world. Let us love what you did for us there. pray today that as we continue in this journey of this sermon together, that there would be a revelation that happens to you, that something that has been peripheral and understood, perhaps intellectually, would become something of the heart for you. It would change the way you see your relationship with the living God. It would change the way you see people around you. It would change the very outlook we have on life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now to take a little detour, but this detour is going to be purposeful, going to bring us back to what I want to share with you this morning. Have any of you heard of the phrase disruptive innovation before? Very few of you, some have, some haven't, most of you haven't. Well, you're going to get this for free today at KT. It's great to be able to share some wisdom with you this morning. Um, And parents, if you brought your kids, some of the disruptions that I'm going to talk to you about in just a minute, you need to get up on because your kids are going to be talking to you about them before you know much about them. But I'm not going to go overboard. We're going to spend a little time here and then focus ourselves back to the core of today, loving the gospel. Now, a technical definition, but we'll get to the practicals quickly. A disruptive innovation creates a new market by providing a different set of values which ultimately and unexpectedly overtake an existing market. They can be normally and normally are applied to business and economics, but they can also be applied to bigger systems, such as I'm going to do today to the idea of life itself. The whole concept coined by Clayton Christensen in 1995, if you want to do some more research on it. But to get there, to understand what I'm talking about, disruptive innovations, we need to look at what innovations are and then what a disruptive innovation is. Now, let's look at some practicals. How many of you have got metal pots and pans where the pot is metal and then the handle is metal? Any of you? Most of you got the ones with the plastic handles, right? Now, that's called a sustaining evolution because there are some people like me who don't think, hey, a metal handle is going to be hot, so I reach out and grab hold of it, burn my hand. So they made the plastic handles for us who don't think too much about metal. I'm sure you mums know well about burning hands on the metal handle pots. So that's a sustaining evolution. We wouldn't use pots and pans if we didn't burn ourselves, if we stopped burning ourselves. Second, evolutionary innovation. Now, uh, I'm a sports fan, but my sport's rugby. I know most of you are football fans. Uh, but do you know how rugby used to, they used to have these really loose baggy clothes, you know, team kit? And suddenly now they've got these uber tight You need two people to pull that jumper on, make sure it gets all the way over. Now, ladies, that's not for you to admire the the physiques of the sportsmen. That's to make it harder for them to get tackled. That's an evolutionary innovation. But then there are revolutionary innovations. For example, the invention of the car. When the car was first created, it was a, a revolution, but it wasn't widely available. Only the richest could afford to buy a car. It was when Ford brought out their Model T that suddenly cars became the way that everybody were able to commute and move around. And so at that point, it became a disruptive innovation. Now, the key thing about a disruption is it's a great idea that fundamentally changes the way that we live. We gather around its set of values. It changes the way we approach things, i.e. the old way of life is done away forever. And it kicks off a new way of life. It brings in a new world. 
So to simplify it for us today, innovation is improving something, but disruption is changing something into something completely new. I'll give you some uh, more examples just to kind of get us into the, the zone. Simple thing, having a two gigabyte hard drive, growing one to a two terabyte hard drive, that's just an innovation. It's not changing the world, it's just making more room for you to store your data. Going from Facebook to Instagram, that's just a innovation. It's just sharing photos rather than having to share all of your comments and statuses and so on. 3D TVs. You heard of 3D TVs? You know when you used to get a TV and you used to buy TV, you had special glasses to watch the TV? Uh, that's an innovation that didn't work. You know, they don't any longer make and sell those TVs, 3D TVs, because nobody used them. So that, that's a kind of example of innovations. What about disruptions? Well, this is a disruption. The Word of God. Of course, everything it contains is a disruption, but the fact that I'm holding it today in English, I'm able to read it in my own language, is a disruption in itself. It used to be that only the powerful people, the intellectual, the priests and monks and so on, had access to the Word of God in a language that no one else spoke, Latin. And so they had the control over who could access God on the basis of who could access the scriptures. The major disruption came when the Bibles were translated into our modern languages so that we ourselves could read them and draw near to God ourselves. The electric car is a disruption and it will be uh, when it fully works out. The, one of the limiting factors is the range. Can an electric car go 500 miles or 1,000 miles? And where are all the charging points? And are there enough charging points for it to come to critical mass and have electric cars everywhere? And that is a disruption disrupting the original disruptor, which was the personal automobile, which runs on petrol. So that's a disruption. Or computer planes for cruise ships. Do you know another one is the home washing machine? The home washing machine is an incredible uh, disruption because it used to be that people would gather in locations to wash their clothes. It started out in the river, then it came to communal washing places, then it came to laundromats, and then it came to a personal in-your-home washing machine. That disruption made it so much easier than having to plan your weekly or couple of daily trip to get your clothes cleaned. But the unfortunate outcome of that is that there was no more communal washing. No more opportunity for people to gather in communities, to talk and to discuss and so on. Um, another disruptive innovation. Have any of you seen that incredible movie, Hidden Figures? Talk to me this morning, 11 o'clock. You know what, I'm, 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 a bit, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit confused. The 9 o'clock were noisier than the 11 o'clock. <laughs> I wonder if you swapped services today or something. Did you all sleep in and came in later? <laughs> Have any of you seen that incredible movie, Hidden Figures? Great. Hallelujah. Bless you. Now, uh, this is a movie about three influential and incredible black women who were working in NASA um, at a time of racial prejudice and also technological development. And they were having to navigate the role of uh, the, the issue of role obsolescence. Now, it was incredible to watch the movie because they were calling people computers. The reason they were calling people computers is because it actually went and sat with a calculator and did all of the calculations. Now today we use computers to do that. Um, but they were doing this and having hundreds of people involved in computing. And in the movie you see them introducing an IBM, which they were going to use to uh, generate data to put someone on the moon. And incredibly these women are involved right at the core of keeping hold of their roles through uh, developing and flowing in line with this disruptive innovation, but also battling racial prejudice. 
Uh, something all of us will get, another one. Uh, email. How many of you have made the transition to email? Good, because at the nine o'clock, most of them had not made the transition to email. <laughs> but email replaced snail mail. Snail mail was uh, that thing where you used to get out a pen and, and write. So if you are here today and you've got a Generation Z kid, you need to introduce them to one of our old innovations. This is called a pen. They've grown up with computers, so they might not know. You just got to make sure. Social media. Social media is a disruptive innovation because it's destabilized the way that we read news today. Uh, you know, it used to be that you would read a big full page spread and you'd go on the basis of the brand and you'd want to make sure that you were getting uh, deep into the stories. But now we just skin titles. We look very superficially through our various apps. Or maybe even you might be someone that gets your news from Facebook. That's why fake news happens. But Amazon, another one, that's a change in disruption, uh, a disruption to the deli uh, delivery systems. I found a, an interesting disruptive change recently. I don't know how many of you know that I, I made some TV programs recently for TBN, a series called Embracing the Challenge, and it was a great privilege and opportunity to be able to, to make those and share what we do at Kensington Temple with a, a larger audience. But do you remember the days where you used to have to put in your schedule the time a program was on so that you could watch it so that when you saw your friends next, you were able to talk about the program? So we used to have to rush home on Fridays to watch Friends so that on Monday you could talk with your friends at school about Friends or, or, or uh, 24 or CSI, whatever the thing was that you watched at the time, Prison Break and so on. Some of you are looking at me confused. You're like, what are these ancient programs? <laughs> um, but that's how you used to do it. And then there was a fun, the, the introduction of the VHS. You could record something, but you'd still watch it before the next time. Nowadays, we don't bother with all of that because you can skybox and TiVo it and all that kind of stuff or wait for it to come out on YouTube. So the reason I brought in TBN was when I would go to people who was on the show, they were on the show, I'd say, did you watch the show? Uh, no. Why not? I'm waiting for it to come out on YouTube. And so I realized that this whole idea of uh, disruption had undermined this whole way that we do TV. Now, just to engage you a little bit more, maybe you tell me of the following, what it, what it is. Is it a disruption or is it an innovation? Home phone to mobile phone. Disruption. Why? Because you can never, ever go anywhere on your own ever again. It used to be that when it was home phones, you used to have to say to your friend, I'm going to call you on Thursday at 5 o'clock. You better be there. And you would wait by the phone at 5 past 5. Why haven't you rung me? Now they can just catch you when you're out for a solitary jog. Nokia to iPhone. You seem uncertain. Disruption. Because, well, unless, you know, I think Nokia are trying to catch up these days. But the old school, you know, Nokia 110 or whatever it is. The disruption was that you now have a computer in your pocket with an iPhone. Shifting from Galaxy to iPhone, innovation. <laughs> You're slow today, slow, slow, slow. I, you know, there's all sorts of other ones. iTunes to Spotify now, instead of having to purchase your music, you can stream your music, but that's just an innovation. What about for those of you who found your boyfriend at the Christian online speed dating event last night? <laughs> that's an innovation. What about when he proposes to you? Disruption. <laughs> You're starting to get the hang of it this morning. 
But when you bring together a disruptive innovation, you're trying to create a new world. And I pray this morning that God would give business ideas that would really contribute to bringing heaven to earth in a way that creates a new world in a godly way. We see these technological advances, they don't always benefit us in a good way. Technology is cultivated to meet a specific need, but it never really takes account of that which is going to come out of it. For example, I mentioned to you washing machines earlier. A personal at-home washing machine means no more communal events. TVs mean no more sitting out talking to your neighbours. Plastic. Did you know that people used to have shampoo in glass bottles? Do you know how crazy that is? You just shampooed your hair and then you try to put the bottle down and you drop the glass bottle in the bath, ceramic, glass, meat, and you're then dancing around in the bath, trying not to get your feet cut, jump out. Then along came plastic, shampoo in a plastic bottle. Ah, no more doctor's visits with cut feet, but plastic, one of the blights on the world today. Did you know that there is an area in the Pacific Ocean the size of France that's called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch that is full, literally, of humanity's plastic. There are unforeseen circumstances or consequences that flow out of our technological advances. WhatsApp was supposed to be a great advance. Why? Because people discovered that text messages really weren't doing too well. How many should balance ban yourself from sending text messages? I should ban myself from sending text messages. Because, you know, when you type in, someone's like, hey, what did you mean by that? Whoa, whoa, whoa. The tone in that's a little bit too strong. So WhatsApp enables you to record a voice note, send a voice note. They get to hear your intonation, your voice. They get to hear how you mean to say it. Oh, and now you can even send a video so you can film a selfie video and then send it to them. Great innovation supposedly to connect us, but the problem is it's all on your own terms. When you want to send. Not dialogue, it's still monologue, it's still one way. The challenge of the technological advance is that we are lonelier than ever in a time when we should be more connected than ever. And see, the illusion of advancement may trick our mind. We're growing so much. Let's forget about the Bible. It's such an old thing. And yet, it cannot trick the heart. The edifices that we are building on a daily basis, they don't work and can't work, ultimately, to meet the deepest need of humanity. Because they're functioning within a broken world and making changes all around us as humanity, but no changes in us. The only way to truly disrupt the world in which we live is for the kingdom of God to break into our lives. Now, you may have thought that the gospel was old news. Bruce last week was talking about the ancient paths. It's so important that we go back to these ancient paths because in them we will find the secret to the new world that Jesus initiated 2,000 years ago. Don't ignore them. Don't set them aside as, uh, as boring or old Get out your old Nokia 110 and go back to the idea of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more before we move on into actually looking at the gospel. Any of you use Instagram? It's a good number of you. Much more of you here than at the 9 o'clock. That's good. Um, Now, Instagram is one of those spaces where you can just share photos. So it's different to Facebook because Facebook, you do status updates, you share links, you share photos, all of that kind of stuff. But Instagram is just photos. And so people cultivate these whole profiles where they're sending and sharing photos of what they're up to today. And have you ever noticed that there are some Instagram people that they just got that photo smile down? See no smiles? So they might be on holiday. 
They might be out partying. They might be out for a walk. They might be out dressed different. Exactly the same video every time. They might even have just had a baby. <laughs> Hashtag Kate Middleton. But what if they're having a super bad day? Maybe they're with a friend and they're grieving over that day because that, they, that day was a day that they found out that their boss had fired them. And they're just pouring out their heart. I can't believe it. My life is over. I booked a holiday. I can't afford to go on a holiday. Who else is going to hire me? And then their friend's sitting there going, hey, Instagram selfie. <laughs> and immediately they snap to the smile that they've shown every other time because the Insta smile is how we've trained ourselves to show the world outside we're living the dream. Do you wish you were living my life? But really on the inside, we're broken. And I want to challenge you and encourage you that we need to cultivate the same discipline. When you snap to the Instagram photo, why not cultivate the discipline of snapping ourselves to the Lord's presence when we find ourselves in times of challenge? The same way that we orientate our, our faces towards a world that's looking on outside, orientate our heart towards a God who's gazing upon the issues that are facing us and and consuming our heart at this point in time. And so I say all of that for us to understand the context of innovation and disruption and how disruptive innovations don't necessarily reach the ends to which we intend for them to reach. So in that context, what of the gospel? John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. What is this gospel? This gospel is the opportunity for a new world. Because in it, through Jesus, God has made a way for every single one of us to be made new. Made new in our relationship with the living God made new in our approach to sin so that we can walk free from sin, made new so that we can hope again, dream again, look to the future again, made new so that one day we would meet the living God in heaven, but in the meantime, enjoy him every single day. See, the gospel is intended to bring newness of life. Will you walk into that newness of life? Will you begin to experience a fresh touch of the gospel for your own life? You might say, what are you on about, Gabriel? 2,000 years, there's billions of Christians. They're all over the place. Many of them do believe, but I want to submit to you there's a difference between inheriting religion from your parents and cultivating a burning passion yourself for the gospel. So I want to speak to the early adopters this morning, people who say, you know what, I don't want to have any kind of relationship with God. I want a serious relationship with God where I love the gospel, where I live for the gospel of Jesus Christ and carry it into my daily life. Albert Einstein said this, the world as we have created is a process of our thinking. It cannot be changed without changing our thinking. Now, everything I say to you in the next 15 minutes or so is the values of the new system that we are called to live in, but it requires the breaking of mindsets, the breaking of habits, the breaking of our old way of doing things so that our values align to the gospel and as we leave this place, let, us, let it be that the whole of Carnival Notting Hill knows that Jesus is alive because something has happened and shifted on the inside of us. Colossians 3, verse 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where, the, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Say your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. 
For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. When I realize that my mind is in the gutter, when I realize that I've set my mind on getting even, when I realize that I've set my mind on protecting my own pride, when I realize that I'm just surviving, when I realize that I'm trying to get through in my own strength, when I realize that I'm trying hard, my hardest to maintain my own image, that's when the light should start to go off. I have not set my mind on things that are above. But Paul puts it like this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Do not be conformed, important word, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Conformed, transformed. Conformed is like me innovating. It's like me improving and tinkering and trying to get something a little bit better. Trying to get better flesh. Trying to upgrade the options. Trying to have knowledge without power, image without substance, networks without relationship. Staying productive with coffee and stimulants rather than getting a good night's sleep. Losing weight eating McDonald's. (laughs) These are all illusions of just trying to get things a little bit better, but there's one thing I can't get away from, explaining why the impossible is still impossible. Conformed, transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's a different state. This is the disruption. This is what the gospel brings to us. Suddenly we are taken out of life in the spirit, uh, flesh and brought into life in the spirit. We're brought into a new realm where God's life begins to break in, where my little meets his yes, where my can't meets his can, where my impossible meets his possible. That's disruption. And I need my thinking to be disrupted. We need our thinking to be disrupted. If the love of the gospel is not right at the core of the way we look at the world, then we're still living in the flesh. We need to adapt the whole set of values that are associated with loving what Jesus did for us at the gospel, at the cross. Paul, going back to that verse, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. How many of you, if you're honest, sometimes are ashamed of the gospel? Zero honest people in the house today should be, should be ashamed of that. I'm sometimes ashamed of the gospel. There's sometimes moments when you're just like, hey, maybe this isn't the moment for me to get all freaky and say, hey, Jesus died on the cross for you. Maybe this isn't the moment because, you know, you're going real crazy right now. Maybe I should not bring in that fuel that is going to be poured on this fire that's going to cause all sorts of eruptions. Maybe I should just hold back. Or maybe I just don't want to be a Christian right at this point in time. Maybe I just want to be free and just enjoy myself. Sometimes we're ashamed of the gospel. But the thing about being ashamed of the gospel is this, is that it's old world language. Shame belongs in the area of the flesh. Shame belongs in the world that Jesus has delivered us from. So when Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he's actually declaring the power of the gospel. He's saying that I've transitioned out of old world living into new world living. There's no shame in new world living. There's no shame in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I need to get some amens out of you today, even if I have to preach my heart out. Okay, we'll try, we'll try, we'll try. Okay, but there's nothing to be ashamed of when we're following Jesus. Literally nothing. When you think about what Jesus has done for us at the cross, what is it to be ashamed of? New life, new hope, relationship with God, freedom from sin. Oh, are you crazy? What are you talking about freedom from sin? You're one of those bound up Christians that says, don't do this, don't do that. Hey, you know what? I was addicted to alcohol and violence. I thank God for delivering me from that. (laughs) I thank God for taking me out of a world where I couldn't get up and think about a day without getting wasted and fighting and beating someone up. I couldn't dream of it, and yet God has delivered. Do you want me to go back to that? Are you crazy? Do you want me to be ashamed of what Jesus has done in my life? No. Because when we are unashamed, we're recognizing the power that Jesus has demonstrated in our lives. The unashamed are to then grow in love. We recognize we're in a new world where we are no longer ashamed of the great thing that Jesus has done for us, but I want to grow in my love for what Jesus did. I want to become someone that is so passionate about Christ and the great sacrifice that he made for me that it just spills out. It spills out in the way that I talk. It spills out in the way that I communicate. It spills out in the way that I relate. Now, I want to talk to you about four values that speak to the core of this gospel of Jesus Christ that speak to the issues that we are talking about here today. These are the values that go with the disruptive innovation. And if we've not adopted these values, then no wonder we're living in this powerless Christianity. First is radical love. Radical love. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus did. In him giving his life on the cross, he was revealing the love of the Father for you. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase, there's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us. Have you heard that phrase, there's a God-shaped hole inside of all of us? Before I was a Christian and I used to hear that, I thought everyone who said it was crazy. God-shaped hole inside of me. There's a big hole right here, right now, needs to be filled. I had God go, eat me some food. (laughs) But not a God-shaped hole. But then there were other bits of me that were full of hate full of anger, full of rage, lacking control of my own life. And the moment that I found out that God could love me, someone like me, someone who'd literally put people in hospital, someone who'd literally drunk until I was in debt, someone who'd literally estranged myself from my entire family through the way that I was living, could someone, could God love someone like me? The most disruptive thinking ever was this. My world was wrecked by this. To realize that I could be a son of God. You are all sons and daughters of God, or you can be if you want to follow Jesus today. And in that moment, impossible became possible. For you, The moment you know that you're a son of the living God, impossible can become possible. Radical love. Second, radical forgiveness. This is the one that gets all of you. If you want to know why we're struggling to live a life of faith and a life full of passion for the gospel, it's right here. Because we don't understand that forgiveness sits at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we forgive us, uh, also forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For... If we forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
Powerful words from Jesus. Disruptive or just innovative? Disruptive. Why? Because when you were lost in sin, your sin was leading you down one particular path. The only place that path ended was brokenness. The moment that you received the love of God, you received the forgiveness of God, he transitioned you, transformed you. You were no longer being conformed, you were being transformed. And the reason that this scripture speaks the way it does is because when we don't forgive, we're living like we're conformed, not transformed. We're living like we believe the world rather than we believe God. We live like we believe in the old life than rather the new life in Christ Jesus. When we understand that our forgiveness paves the way for us to live this new relationship with God, it calls us to become a person who forgives. See, the broken relationship that you got and you all got them, we all got them, is never going to change unless you disrupt yourself with forgiveness. If you just keep sitting there saying, when they come and apologize to me, when they figure out what they did wrong, when they stop being a cheat and a liar and a scumbag and a villain and all of that great language we use about them, when they stop it, then I will come and be the magnanimous forgiver. (laughs) Forget that. You haven't got a revelation. If you're carrying anger in your heart right now, you haven't got a revelation. As far as as Jesus is concerned, it's this. If you know him and you are a Christian, you need to be the one forgiving. If they wronged you, if you wronged them, if they wronged somebody else, you need to be the one forgiving, not them. That's what radical forgiveness is all about. If we want to lean into this new life that God has for us, we've got to learn to forgive radically. Oh, I forgive and then I keep my distance. I forgive, but I don't forget. (laughs) Take that junk and outside the church. Every single Christian should be a radical forgiver. But you know that on the other side of radical forgiveness is this. A whole new world of relationship. The person that you were previously butting heads with can become your best friend. Maybe she might even want to stay married to you. Third, radical esteem. Sorry, I'm, I'm punching you today, but you're, you're too quiet. You're too quiet, you got me mad. <laughs> if you just played with me a little bit, then we'd be having a lot of fun right now, but it's all good. Radical esteem. Did I drop something? Radical esteem, Galatians 3.25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Have you ever considered that this is what the gospel speaks to? Right at the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right at the core of the blood that was shed for us. There is now no race. Division according to race. Neither Jew nor Greek. What was happening? The Jews thought they were the superior ones who needed to get saved and salvation was theirs and no one else could have it. Jesus says, no, all of us can get saved. He breaks down gender divides, neither male nor female. He breaks down societal divides, neither slave nor free. He breaks all of that down to say, listen, in Christ you have all been made equal. But I'm not satisfied with that word equal. Eh. 
We think of it as harmonizing. We think of it as trying to put everyone in one part and call us the same, homogenizing us all into one category. No, we are equal but unique in the way that God has created us. He's given you particular gifts. He's given you your race. He's given you your gender. He's given you your stage in life, status in life. I don't know if you've ever sat and dwelt on this as an issue of the gospel. So many people are blinded to the gospel because they're fighting for their rights. They're fighting over racial uh, priority. They're fighting over gender priority. They're fighting over all these issues that are alien to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you might say it's a bit out of order for me to talk to this, but I'm I'm a mixed race man. You might not pick this up, but Gabriel Chan. There's only 43 million Chans in the world. We're pretty, pretty unique. Gabriel Chan, it's Chinese, right? Half English, half Chinese. Well, actually, I thought I was half English. It turns out Irish and Scottish, but not really English. So I don't know where I'm at, in case you're wondering where my accent is from. But I grew up in Hong Kong. You know the thing with growing up in Hong Kong is Chinese can be quite racist. I can say that because I am half Chinese. Uh, but me, as someone that was half Chinese in that community, I'm English, according to the Chinese. But according to the English, I'm Chinese. <laughs> so. And that's made worse by getting in a taxi. I get in a taxi and I speak Chinese to the guy who's driving me, thinking, why is this white boy trying to get me to speak? Why is he speaking my language? But then when I get into a taxi and speak English, he's thinking, why is this white boy trying to make me speak English? You know, I've lived in the space of being between two races. I've known the uncertainty of that. I've been in places where they literally ignore the fact that my name is Chan and they've pretended that I'm English and they've gone along with my nice, educated, odd accent and pretended that I was one of them. I'm not. I'm half and half. But it's in Christ that I've found that my racial distinctions have value. They have value. What I love about Kensington Temple is this, that you've got every kind of race here. You know, it's been such a joy to learn the different languages from different people groups, eat the different foods, spend time with. When I first came to KT, I found it really weird because I was one of a number of white-looking people, only five or six of us at the time. (laughs) And I always thought, well, I'm not one of you for the four other white people that were there, but I'm neither one of... Anyway, getting into... But to find a whole new family that is so diverse, so rich in culture, that we get to celebrate each other's cultures only in the body of Christ. And if you focus all of your attention on trying to deal with the racial issues, you might say, I don't understand. Uh, I get you. Uh, I've only got my niche that I've experienced. But listen, if you want to live the gospel, no Jew, no Greek. What about the issue of women? Wow. Paul's talking to seeing women empowered here. No distinction, man and woman. Seeing man and woman, equal but unique. Uniquely blessed and uniquely talented. You know, fellas, if all you're doing when you see the ladies around you is looking externally, you're missing out on all that God has placed internally. Look to the riches of each woman created and crafted by the living God. And to all you guys sitting there like this, If I could slap you, I would. (laughs) 
Why do I say that? Because there's something about a man of God who is on fire for the living God. There's something about the way you are to use your strength to dignify people around you, to not put them down, to esteem them. That's what radical esteem is about. Three values. I'm on to my fourth value now, final value. Radical faith. Radical faith. It's perhaps the most controversial. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Wow, that would be great for us to get out of being ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. And this is the single reason why most people backslide if, they haven't dealt, if they've already dealt with the other areas of forgiveness and esteem, is this, that they've lost sight of the power of God. I've been in KT long enough to have seen some incredible things. I've seen cancer beaten. I've seen new teeth formed. I've seen broken bones get healed. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen deaf ears open. I've seen people get out of wheelchairs who weren't even Christians. This is not about some healing school available only to Christians. Muslim women coming and getting out of wheelchairs here in the church. I firmly believe in the transformative power of the kingdom of God. But I've also experienced some real challenges. I never really thought this through when I set out to become a minister, but part of our role is that we go sit with families. We go sit with families who are losing loved ones or have lost loved ones. It's been one of my great privileges to sit with families at a time when it matters the most and to remind them of the wonderful promise of the resurrection and eternal life because that's what all of us will get in the gospel. We will all live eternally in glorious bodies. That's when we are healed in the fullest regard. But that's nice for then. But what about now? What about when the person's taken too young? What about when they leave behind family? What, what about when they've got kids? And it's been challenging to sit with uh, recently a lady who has got a nine-year-old, a six-year-old, but her husband died. Cancer. She got more faith than I do. I just want to thank God that he got saved two years before he died. I am so grateful that he got baptized a month before he died. I am so grateful to God that I will see my husband in heaven. When you sit with someone who is talking like that, it is incredible. But at the same time, unprovoked. When I think of the three or four of the last funerals that I've taken, they have all been related to cancer. I'm provoked when I think about this verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Where's the power? I've seen the power around. I've been involved in miracles around. But right here, right now, Jesus, what is the power for this particular person that we are facing here today? And church, we are, we are presented with many more options to pray into this area. At the moment, Jide, one of our beloved kids leaders, he's been such a faithful servant when he heard that I was pregnant. Uh, <laughs> It's because we're one, okay? That's my wife, Rebecca, there. Yeah. <laughs> when he heard that Rebecca was pregnant, I was sympathy pregnant at the time. It's called Couvard syndrome. <laughs> um, he said to me, I hope it's a boy because he's going to be in my cell. The second child, I hope it's a boy because he's going to be in my cell. 
I went to see him in hospital. He's half the man that he is. Cancer is eating away at his body right now. I hope that he... No, it's not, I don't hope that he lives long enough. I hope that we see the power of God manifested in his life. I feel provoked. I feel provoked. I can't keep going to these funerals and burying people that have been beaten by something that has been defeated by Jesus. I can't keep doing it. We've got to get provoked about these things. We've got to get provoked as a church to say, you know what, we want this house to be a place when somebody crosses those doorsteps, they get healed and they didn't even know that they got healed. That they just start to see the life of God flowing through their body. You know what, we've got to get discomfortable. We've got to get upset about the fact that we are not getting breakthrough in this area, individually and corporately. We've got to start to push ourselves outside of our comfort zones and pursue God and say, God, you know what, it's more comfortable to be pursuing you than it is to be sitting in my comfort and dissatisfied seeing people dying. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Church, now more than ever, now when the nation is on its way, dying as a nation that it once was, now that people around you are suffering and got a timeline, now that you are suffocating because you've embraced the mediocrity of religion. Now is the time when we have got to love the gospel. Now is the time when we've got to get so provoked about what is available to us and what we are not seeing that we start to believe God that his kingdom would be manifest on earth as it is in heaven. Not just praying that prayer because it's simple and it's repetitive, but praying that prayer because we literally want to see the glory of God break out in our city. What are you going to do, church? I know that I have been praying different prayers. I've been crying out to God, praying different prayers. God, it cannot be that G-Day dies. Where is the power of God? Not as, where is you, God, but God, I want to see your power. You might be praying for your loved one. God, I don't know what to say about this. And start to pray differently. Start to get provoked. Start to pray that they would get healed. Start to pray that they would get saved. Start to pray that they would experience the life of God in a way that you cannot even begin to comprehend or quantify right now, but you know that it will radically change their life forever. Shall we pray? Let's stand together. Let's lift our hands. Lord, help us to break free from shame this morning. All your people that are bound up in the old way, that are bound up in the old condemnations, that are bound up in the old understanding, that are bound up in being so worried about what people think that they don't think about what you think first. Lord, I pray, Father, right now that you would begin to break us out of that control, break us out of that bondage, break us out of that conformity, trying to get better flesh, break us out of those things in the name of Jesus. 
And Lord, I pray, Father, right now that you would release a fresh passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, that we would not be ashamed, not because we're just beating shame, but literally we've been taken out of the place of shame and placed in the place of the Spirit, placed in the place of life, placed in the place of forgiveness, placed in the place of restoration, placed in the place of esteem, placed in the place of power. Lord, this morning we pray in the name of Jesus, let something so radical happen on the inside of us that we would literally be transformed, transformed to be people that love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, Father, that we would also be in that place provoked, provoked out of our complacency, provoked out of our acceptance of the status quo, provoked to cry out to you, Lord God. Lord, we lift up G-Day to you right now. We lift up every loved one in the house of those that are praying. If you've got a loved one, I want you to put your hand on your heart and stretch your hand towards them. I want you to pray. Father, we lift them up to you right now. And Lord, we believe for the power of the gospel, Lord. We believe for the power of the gospel, Lord. We believe for the power of resurrection. We believe for the power of healing. We believe for the power of salvation to be manifest in their lives. Lord, we pray, Father, that we start to see such things, Lord God. We contend with you. Let us not be conformed, but let us be transformed. Let us believe like Jesus did to see miracles in our day and in our time. Let us believe to see the gospel proclaimed in our time in a way that would release the power of God in the city. Lord, we pray, Father, move as only you can move. I want, I want you to, uh, right where you are, right where you are, right where you are, draw near, draw near. I know you've been silent because you've been thinking. I, I get that. I've been trying to provoke you to get engaged. But I know that there's stuff going on on the inside today. And I want to challenge you. Make this real today. Say, Jesus, you know what? I've been living. I've been living worried. I've been living worried about my position at work. I've been living worried about my family and are they going to find out my secrets? I've been living worried about this relationship and are they going to cheat me out of my inheritance? I've been living worried about when I'm walking down the street, am I going to be safe? I've been living worried about all of these things. But Lord, today, help me to worry about one thing first. Am I putting you on the throne of my life? Am I living from a place of knowing the power of God in my life? Just yesterday, I was brought afresh to this, to, 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 in my heart, turn to the Lord. We don't want you to just come to church to have great sermons. We want you to come to church to have a, an encounter with the living God. Jesus, I pray for each person. Make it real, Lord. Make it real, make it real. Let's embrace you, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts and all of our lives, Lord. that have lost loved ones, Lord, I pray, Father, give them an assurance that they will see them again. But in the meantime, give them the courage to re-embrace life. It's hard to say goodbye. It's even harder to not live life. Father, we ask, Lord, give them that fresh sense of life. I spoke at the beginning about people getting business ideas. Let's pray for those business ideas to flow, to be about releasing heaven on earth. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you would release your power in your church. Release us to a fresh hunger for you. Release us to a fresh passion for you. 
But more than that, let us see miracles around us, Lord. Cancer has to bow to the name of Jesus. Blindness has to bow to the name of Jesus. Deafness has to bow to the name of Jesus. Lord, speak life, speak life, speak power. Thank you that there's power in your name, Jesus.